right, let's give it about 30 more seconds and go ahead and take your seats. <clears throat> Hello, that was fast. Good morning, you guys. Uh, my name is Matt. Uh, I got to be here with you guys on Good Friday. I'm the pastor of New Life Church in Tustin, and I knew today was a big day with so many of the voice team running and doing their things, so I'm super glad to be here and kind of bless some of the staff and come in and share a word with you guys. Uh, like voice, uh, I just have a heart for Tustin. Um, voice has inspired me in a lot of ways. Taka has inspired me in so many ways, so it's just really good to be here with you guys. Um, I know that you guys are in the middle of a series called Relationship Goals. The point means step back. Okay, wonderful. Uh, give me a second, guys. I don't know how to step back more. Hello, everybody. <laughs> You guys are going through a series called Relationship Goals, right? How do we have healthy relationships with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, relationship with our friends and our neighbors? The Bible even tells us to have relationships with our enemies, right? Which there's a lot to unpack there. But there's also this element. We need to have a healthy relationship with ourselves. Oftentimes, that is the first thing to get overlooked. The idea of self-care has often been pigeonholed as selfish or that's secular or call it whatever you want, but I don't believe that's the case. I believe, right, in order to love others well, we have to learn how to love ourselves. And so I know Natalie talked a little bit about it last week with some boundaries, about how that's a beautiful way to have a healthy relationship with yourself and kind of do some self-care. And I'm going to introduce... Uh, an idea that to care for ourselves or to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, we need to learn how to rest. Resting is also not a word you typically hear in the church. And yet what I hope to show you guys briefly is that it is not just a minor theme of the Bible, but it is a start-to-finish major theme. So if you have your Bibles, open up. Let's start at the very first verse as I build my case for the importance of rest. Let's go to Genesis 1.1. I'm going to be reading from the NLT. So if you're doing the Bible on the phone or the app and you want to switch to NLT to follow along word for word, that'd be great. Let's read the very first couple sentences and let's see if we can notice something. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. So those of us who grew up in church were familiar with this. This is the creation account. God speaks life into existence. Turn your page, and let's pick up the end of the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says, so the creation 
of the heavens and the earth, and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Now, again, many of us, what's it on? this a little better? Better? Better. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. We've heard this idea, this truth, that God rested on the seventh day. But have we paused and asked ourselves why God rested? And you might think it's like an obvious, silly question, but I don't think many of us actually go, wait, why did he do that? Was God actually tired? Did he need a day to regain his strength? Was he burnt out and needed a break? Like if I, if I said, hey, fill out in two sentences why God rested. I think we'd get like 200 different answers out of 200 Christians. I don't think we ponder. We know he rested, but if I, we go, why? Go, and yet I believe there's a reason, and it's not to regain his own strength. So I have two, a two-year-old little girl and a four-year-old girl. And one of the things we love to do on Saturday mornings is we love to walk to DK Donuts. I think it's the best donut shop in Tustin. If you've not been there, it's on the corner of Newport and Irvine Boulevard. Big shout out to DK Donuts. I go there every Saturday, and we walk. And my girls are at the age where they can walk and I can hold their hand. But when we walk to the street, we pause. And I say, OK, girls, we need to look to the left, to the right, back to the left and to the right. And I do that every single time we approach the street. Now let me ask you, do I do that because I need to do that for myself? No, I do that to model to my kids how to approach the street. And so I do this big, exaggerated left, right, left, right, every single time, not because I need it, but I'm trying to model good behavior to my kids. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Is it because he needed it? The omnipotent, never tiring, never sleeping, all everything God? No. He rested to model healthy behavior to his kids. You and I, his sons and daughters, his divine image bearers, God rests like I do my exaggerated left-right to show us what we need to step into. Let's continue. Let's, let's see if we see any of this in Jesus' life. So go to Luke chapter 5. So we see it in the Father. Oh, wait, no, I want to finish one more thing in Genesis. If you go back to Genesis 1, there's something really cool in the story that often I think us Christians overlook. Genesis 1, if you look at verse 3, so Genesis 1, verse 3, let's go back to that. It says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Look at verse 5. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Look at this next sentence. And evening passed, and morning came. 
marking the first day. So I don't know if you are familiar with the Jewish calendar, but it's a bit different than ours. And it's different in the sense that the day starts with evening. So if you've ever been with a Jewish person who celebrates Shabbat or Sabbath, you know it actually starts Friday night. Because their calendar days start in the evening. And they base it off of Genesis 1-3, where it says, Evening passed, morning came, marking the first day. So the Jewish interpretation of this is the way that God even set up the calendar rhythms is it's night first, day second. And if you ask a Jewish Torah scholar, why is this? They'd say, because the first thing God wants all of us to do every day is sleep and rest. The American idea is the first thing that we do, that alarm goes off, we work. Right? 5 a.m., get up. What do we have on our agenda today? We need to work. We need to be productive. We need to be efficient. I got a big day tomorrow, and the first thing I need to do is go crush it. And the Jewish calendar, based on Genesis 1-4, our Bible as well, right? What's the first thing God wants his people to do? Go to sleep. Rest. And the second half of your day, we'll get some work done. But the rhythm that we see in Genesis, implemented by God, is actually first thing, get a good night's sleep. And from a posture of rest, let us work. It's very different, right? It's like so countercultural than how I was raised as an American. Wait, the first thing we do is work, right? And then if we get all the work done, then maybe we rest. God goes, nope, first thing, rest. Then we'll talk about getting some work done. Let's, let's go back to now Luke. Let's look at Jesus. Let's see how he kind of interacts with rest. Luke chapter 5. Look at Luke chapter 5. Verse 15. So Jesus' ministry is just getting started at this point. He's healing, he's preaching, he's casting out demons. And look what happens in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 15. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So I want you to imagine Jesus is busy. He's waited 30 years to start his ministry. A lot of rest. 30 years. And now he just starts. And what is a prominent feature of his ministry that he often withdraws and prays? Do you know how much this must have been criticized? Wait, Jesus, there's sick people in this town. Yeah, but I got to go pray. Are you so selfish, Jesus? You're going to go pray when this person's sick. This person has a demon in them right now. Like, you have to work. We can maybe rest once every single person is healed. But we're not told that he rests after everybody has been healed. We're told that in the midst of his healing and preaching, he often withdraws and prays. He rests despite not all of the work being completed. And he rests being, despite being fully God and fully man. So we see God the Father resting 
in creation, even setting up the calendar to where we rest first, then work. We see the Son of God 30 years waiting to start. And then once he starts, early on, often withdraws to pray, to rest. We see then in Mark chapter 6, you don't have to turn that, I think it's on the screen, that Jesus himself then commands his disciples. Do we have Mark chapter 6, verse 30? Perfect. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. So this is the disciples and told him all they had done and taught. So now the apostles are getting some work in. And look at verse 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So even his disciples must have been scratching their head and saying, Jesus, we're just getting the ball moving. Like we just started doing things and now we're already being told to rest. This would have been very confusing, but we see a consistent theme in scripture. And that is the importance that rest plays. There's this quote that I really like from an author and pastor named John Mark Comer, and you guys can check it out. I put it on the screen. It says, work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, you will never learn how to work well, and vice versa. After all, the opposite of work isn't rest, it's sleep. Work and rest are friends, not enemies. They are bride and groom who come together to make a full, well-rounded life. Work and rest are friends. They're not opposites. They're not enemies. One is not holy and one is selfish. They're two things joined together to have a thriving, healthy life for the kingdom and for yourself. And despite that, And I'm just skimming the surface. You can search the pages and come and see how often rest is talked about. Despite all of the evidence that Scripture gives us, we still struggle to rest. We struggle to actually implement this in our daily lives. For some of us, let me explain. I think there's two kind of main reasons or two main substitutes for rest. Don't worry if you feel called out. Most of us are going to fall into one of these two camps, so there's safety here. But I think for a large percentage of us, what keeps us from resting is an addiction to work. Many of us are workaholics. We work in the mornings, in the afternoons, and in the evenings. We work on the weekends. We work during our children's soccer games, and we work during our daughter's recitals. We work when we're spending time with our spouse, and we work sometimes even driving to places in the car, just quick emails. So many of us, we're addicted to work. Now, the why is very nuanced. Some of us, we have this chip on our shoulder, so we don't feel good enough, so we try to prove our earn. We try to prove our worth with work. Some of us, it's a material thing. We just want more money. We're kind of addicted to what work gives us. Some of us, we actually just really like what we do, and so it's always justified, well, I kind of like it. Whatever the reason, and there's many of them, 
we don't rest because we're workaholics. Now, for some, ready? Let's go to camp number two. The only thing you know how to do besides work is relax. And relaxing is not resting. See, our culture, we're really good at relaxing. And even our society around us, they can prescribe what it means to relax, right? We've heard this. Hey, after a long day work, have a couple glasses of wine, put on a Netflix show, and relax. Oh, you're tired? Crack open a beer, put on the baseball game, watch nine innings straight, because relax. You need it. Oh, you need that vacation. You need it because you need to relax. Just working too hard. We are prescribed many different forms of relaxing, but it's not resting. This is the analogy I give often. I grew up on sugary cereals. Like, I was the Cocoa Puffs kid. Are there any more out there? Apparently, it's just like me and three other people. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll be the bigger man. I'll admit that I had Captain Crunch almost every morning from, like, kindergarten to college. (laughs) A lot of sugary cereals. I love them. But me and my few friends out there, when you have sugary cereals for breakfast, what happens one hour later? Like clockwork. You are hungrier than what you started an hour ago. Every time you have an entire bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you drink the milk, nobody cannot do that. And then one hour later, your stomach is so upset with you, and it's 9.30, and you're starving, and lunch isn't for three hours. That's relaxing. You relax... And then an hour after binge-watching that show, an hour after scrolling, an hour after your third glass of wine, you're already anxious again. You're already craving the next relaxation session. You're already looking for tomorrow's night's game and tomorrow night's beer to relax because an hour later, your soul is restless. Relaxing is numbing. It's not life-giving. And many of us, if we're not working, we're just relaxing. And both bring the same result, and it's a tired soul. It's a restless being. And it leads to an unhealthy relationship with ourselves and with those around us. So I want to unpack this a little bit more because for some, we've never even kind of heard this dichotomy between rest and relax. And so let me try to just unpack it really briefly. To visit John Mark Comer again, he has a great quote that I think helps us identify rest. And this is what he says, and we can pull it up. It's the second one. No matter how much you love your life or your job or fine-tune your work-life balance, by the end of the week, you're tired. Your fuel cells are empty, but rest refills us with energy, creativity, vision, strength, optimism, buoyancy, clarity, and hope. Rest is life-giving. Rest is the smoothie shake in the morning that actually gives you fuel for the day. Rest 
creates life. It doesn't put a band-aid. It doesn't numb. It doesn't temporarily squash the feelings. When we rest, we actually generate life. And so here's a filter that I try to think through, that I try as a family, we try to step into, and as a church, we try just to think about it. Is what we're doing resting or relaxing? I'll give you kind of three ways to think about it. Because it's really easy to go full legalist and start just calling out, well, that's relaxing and that's resting and, and that's a behavior. And it's not as cut and dry. So here would just be three things to think about, to ponder as you examine your life. The first is, in my experience, a resting activity or a resting behavior is unique in the sense that it's not something you're doing throughout the day. So if you find yourself scrolling on Instagram throughout the day, and then at the evening you say, I'm going to rest by being on social media, I would cause you to ponder and question if that's very restful because you've been doing it throughout the day. Right? So I'm addicted to sports. I love sports. I could read and watch and listen to sports 24-7. I do in the car. I do in the morning. I do on my phone. I do a lot of sports intake. And I know that at the end of the night, when I want to read one more Laker trade scenario, I'm mostly just relaxing and numbing. I'm not resting because it's something I'm doing 24-7 anyways. If you're consuming the news all day long and then in the evening you think, I'm going to rest by watching more news, I would encourage you to pause because a resting behavior is something that's usually unique. We're usually working in the day and then we get to rest in the evening. But if your restful activity is something you're also doing throughout the day, I would consider you to question it. Another filter is that rest has intentionality behind it. So if we go back to the Jewish people, they have an entire day called the Day of Preparation. And it's the day leading up to Sabbath where they do all of their prep work to rest well. So they go to the grocery store, they plan out everything ahead of time so that in the moment all they get to do is rest. Rest has a level of intentionality. It looks like when I'm coming home tonight, my wife and I are going to go for a walk together. Honey, when I get home, can we do that? There's some intentionality. Hey, this evening, we want to have this couple over, and we want to hear how they're doing, and we want to pray and lay hands on them. You've thought it out. You've planned it. You've carved in some intentionality. Hey, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning an extra 30 minutes advance and spend some time in prayer. There's an intentionality that is going into these. As opposed to relaxing, we sit down and we just aimlessly wander looking for something to numb us. There's no thought into it. It's just like when you're driving around looking for something to eat, but you don't really know where you're going and you end up getting stuck in traffic and you get more upset because you just didn't think about it. Rest has a level of intentionality. When the kids go down, honey, you and I are going to play a game together hey, after church, I'm going to stick around and ask for some prayer because I know my soul needs it. You've thought about it. So the first thing to consider is rest should be unique. Rest has a level of intentionality. But the third thing I want you guys to consider is rest is usually not your first option. To rest well is to fight and win a mini little battle. 
because my flesh will always choose work or relaxing. I wish I could tell you that as a pastor, I'm so holy. And at the end of the night, when I tuck in my toddlers, all I want to do is hit my knees in fasting and prayer and worship. But my flesh says no. And every time I have to have a battle deep within me that says I can numb or I can truly be with the Lord and do something that will create life. And there's a little will. There's a little fight in it. If what you think is restful, you gravitate towards so easily, I would lovingly consider you to question it. Because most of the time, rest is a battle, and it's not what you're drawn to because we still have this thing called the flesh. And none of, this ha- none of us have perfectly crucified it. We have aspects, we have the opportunity, but here on this side of earth, we will have to struggle with our flesh. And our flesh doesn't want us to rest. So if what you're doing is so easily for you to do morning, afternoon, and night, maybe you should wonder if it's as life-giving as you consider it. Corey Tenboom, she has this quote. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. The enemy doesn't want us to rest because we begin to start having a healthy relationship with ourselves. It goes back to this relationship goals. But if we learn, and if we pause long enough to consider this idea of rest, could we step into more of God's design for us, more of his heart for us, and more of his peace for us? I'm not here to prescribe, here's my five-step formula, or here are the five activities. I'm not going to do that. I more just want you to consider, okay, so if the Lord is okay with this, and I would say he's more than okay, he's prescribing it, he's modeling it, he's calling us into it, what would it look like as a church and as an an individual and as a family level to say, we're going to put some thought to this. We're not going to view it as weak. We're not going to view it as selfish. We're not going to view it as 10th on the totem pole of things I want to do. We're going to start to recognize the power of rest. Because I want to end with this, and that is our physical resting, it points towards another resting. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6. It says this. So God's rest, again, that word, God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Voice, today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, verse 8, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So what he's doing 
is he's juxtaposing the Israelites' journey in the wilderness and how the promised land was there to provide rest. But they disobeyed and they failed to enter rest. But what the author is saying, he's saying even that promised land rest that was promised, that was just a shadow of an even better rest that is available today. Look what, look what he says, verse 9. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world, linking it back to Genesis 1, which we read. Verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Verse 9 said there is a special rest. Voice, there is a special rest. What is he talking about? He's talking about the rest from having to earn God's love. This special rest is the stopping from having to do good works to be sons and daughters of God Almighty. The ultimate rest that every single one of us get to boast in forever is that we are saved by grace. We are saved not by earning, but by resting and simply receiving. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that we plant our flag in, is that our entire relationship with Christ is built not on the idea that we earned it or we worked for it or we achieved it. Everything we have in Christ has simply been given. And so we rest and we receive. And we just throw up our hands and say, thank you. That is what we have in Christ, this special resting. But do you notice, he connects our spiritual resting with our physical resting. Here's the point. If we claim that we have been saved through grace, a.k.a. our souls, we have rest, then why do our physical lives, do we work ourselves to the bone? Our lives tell conflicting stories. We preach with our words. We have been saved by grace, a.k.a. we rest from labor to earn his love. But then our physical lives are dominated by work, and there's no rest, and the stories are going in opposite directions. And if you're an outsider looking at the Christian, you'd say, which story is it? Is work important or is rest important? You claim your soul is saved by rest, but your physical lives are dominated by work. I believe God wants us to tell cohesive stories. And we don't proclaim one thing about our soul, but then our physical lives tells a completely different story. Because in my experience as somebody who very much struggles with this, is that your physical resting and your spiritual resting are often connected more than we want to realize. Those of us who struggle to slow down physically are often the ones who struggle to believe that God really loves us as we are. Because we're not these schismed people who can believe one thing about our soul but then live another way. We're always connected. 
I want to tell all of you, you are saved by grace. And there is nothing that you need to do or can do to make God love you any more or any rest, less. So take a deep breath and rest. And feel that freedom to carry out that spiritual rest into your physical lives and also physically rest and tell a cohesive story that your God loves you even when you're not working for him. That's the story that we get to live out. Who God in Genesis said, no, go ahead and sleep first and rest. The God through Jesus who says, no, go ahead and receive the gospel first. Yeah, then work for my kingdom. The God who says, no, I want you to rest and then work for me. We get to say yes to that. And as we do, we begin to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, with those around us, and with the God who made us. Matthew chapter 11, this should be a verse every single one of us repeats daily if we struggle with this like I do. It says this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You can check it out on the screen. Come to me. All you are who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. Look at this verse, 29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. Verse 29, and you will find rest for your souls. What does it look like, Voice Church, for you guys to begin to stepping into rest? My prayer is that every single person in this room knows on a fundamental level there is nothing you need to do to earn your adoption. You get to receive it with a deep breath and go to bed at night with a full heart knowing there's nothing you need to do to earn God's love. And then from there, my prayer for you would be that you would continue that story in your physical lives and you would continue to rest as an act of worship that you rest as an act of like warfare against your flesh and you rest as a defiant agreement with your soul's rest so that we can be people who tell one story, salvation by rest and my spiritual, my emotional, my physical and my psychological life all tell the same story. Jesus, we thank you so much. I want to invite the band up. God, thank you so much that we get to rest from our efforts to earn your love. Thank you so much that we rest from our attempts to buy your love or persuade you. We receive it like someone going to bed at night, waking up with their full adoption paperwork. And Lord, I pray that you would point out to each and every one of us the ways that we have been addicted to work. I pray, Lord, that you would point out to every one of us the ways that we have been numbing through relaxation. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, the personal comforter that you have left us with, that we, you would lead us into rest. What does it look like for us to put some intentionality, to put some effort and uniqueness into stepping into what you've offered us and that you modeled to us and which you gave us the gift of rest? 
Holy Spirit, show us that as we do that, the relationship with our own souls begins to heal, begins to grow, and it would pour over in a life for you. Amen. So as we dismiss, I'll explain why I look the way I do here in a second. You're probably like, they let anybody as part of this church. That's, you know, so uh, I'll explain in a second. I just want to first of all say thank you to Matt uh, for speaking. Can we give a show of appreciation? Uh, <laughs> yeah. A couple miles, a couple miles ago, oh gosh, uh, that's where my mind's at right now. Uh, a few weeks ago, we ran a 10-mile, uh, like a trial race run uh, for the World Vision team. And it was that Sunday or that, that Saturday after running the 10 miles, that's when I called Matt. I was like, there's no way. There's no way I can run 13 miles and come speak or else people are going to come to the church and go, wow, pastor's very sick. Like something is wrong with him. Uh, we need to pray for him. So uh, thank you again for speaking. You know, I, I feel like the room is split. There's some of us that have no problem with resting. If anything, you have your problem is being proactive and actually getting stuff done, right? Um, but then there's a, there's a good chunk of us uh, that kind of struggle with this. And we wear busyness as a badge of honor. Uh, and it's like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Like that, like we're supposed to be, oh, that's awesome. Uh, but a lot of times what they're saying is I'm unhealthy. Uh, my soul is shrieking, right? It, it's it's easy to have a full schedule and a shrunken heart, right? And I think a lot of the, sometimes the pressure is, and it's not because God's anything, sometimes it's because we're pursuing and chasing after and finding value in things that God never asked us to. And so we're doing all this extra stuff and God's like, I didn't want that for you. There's uh, Psalm 23, I'm sure you guys have heard. I looked it up while he was, uh, Matt was speaking because I'm like, this is, this is my verse that God shows me all the time when I'm thinking about this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You've probably heard this, right? It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The reason why that's important is he makes me. In other words, I don't want to. There's so many times where God goes, hey, chill. Just calm down. Take some time off. I'm like, yeah, but I got to do, but I, the emails, the, the to-do list, I got to, if no one, if I don't do this, no one will do it. I got to, God's like, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And sometimes you just got to do that. And I, I get it. You're like, well, talk, I have little kids. There's no way they won't, they won't be quiet. Or if they are quiet, they're at the age where quiet is suspicious, right? So it's like, you know, I don't want them to be quiet, right? This is where we as a church come in. Right, so that's where you reach out to your small group. Reach out to Natalie and I. Natalie loves babies, right? And not, not in a weird way, but like if you need like babysitting, drop the kids off at the house and then go home and take a nap. Like this is what we do as a church family. But the reason why I look the way I look is because of a bunch of the team, actually, if you want to put the team picture up, a bunch of the team uh, hopped on shuttles this morning at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, to, uh, yeah, there's the crazies. A few people were like wandering around going to the bathroom, so there's a few more than that, um, to raise money for World Vision. I want to give you a report of kind of what, um, I was asking the team, our team leaders, John Arlene, I was like, is there any way we can raise money but not have to run? <laughs> She's like, no. It's like, okay. So um, here's what the team, as of a few minutes ago, I looked on our team website, as of a few minutes ago, the team has raised, so is all you, a lot of you, you guys too, because a lot of you guys gave, has raised $41,183 this year. Here's, here's what that means. Here's what that means practically, because sometimes we hear the numbers, we're like, okay, so what? Does that go towards like some organization having a, a nice, you know, golden parachute for their CEOs? Um, 
Here's what it means. It's $50 to provide clean water for an individual for life. For life. That means when they're not going to be walking uh, miles a day to get water that's too dirty and it might actually make them sick. They're not going to be abducted because they're vulnerable. A lot of times it's the young kids that are walking and so they're not going to be kidnapped for child soldiers or human trafficking. Like they're going to, they can just go to the spigot and get clean water. Education doesn't matter if you don't have clean water, right? Like none of this stuff matters if you don't have clean water. So what that means practically is $50 a purse for clean water for life. That means 823.66, call 824. 824 uh, people somewhere in the world are going to have clean water for life. And I just want you to give yourself a round of applause because you did that. It's just amazing. It's amazing. So with that, you know, um, every time we gather, we take a free will offering. That's, it's not tied to this. But if, if you want to give, uh, we, we, what we say all the time is you don't give to the church, you give through the church. And so there's so many things we're going we're, we're to do better. We commit to you. We're going to do better at reporting to you all the cool stuff that, uh, that God's doing through the church of uh through the, the finances you give. One of the cool things is there's several sign up for baptism. So baptisms are happening June 5th. If you have not signed up yet, if you want to get baptized, uh, you, we can get you on uh, the list. So we're going to be June 5th baptisms. In August, we're going to do um, a like get together in Woodbridge at one of the lakes. So like a sunset kind of cookout kind of thing. So that'll be free of charge. We'll have, we'll buy all the food and just come hang out. We'll do baptism again there. And there's a great gal that's already signed up for that baptism in August. So there's a couple opportunities here in the next few months to be a part of that. But to me, baptism is not about because someone wanted to, you know, uh, submerge. Uh, it's, a, it's a life change. It's a life change. Like their family tree is changing, right? And so that's just awesome. That's why we do what we do. We don't come here just to listen to a talk and and do Christian karaoke. Lives are changing. So with that, if you want to be part of that, you can give. There's all sorts of ways to give. But I um, also want to say this. If, if you need prayer, at the end of every service, if you need prayer for whatever reason, right, we never want you to leave feeling like you are carrying something that you walked in with. We're here for you. You probably don't want me to pray for you because you probably shouldn't be within a few feet of me because uh, I, I stinketh, right? So uh, what I, I'll be, also before you, I just want to give a shout out to ye back there, ye go and raise, uh, and, and Wesley, they ran the half marathon. And then they came here to run camera and slides. So, yeah, extra credit for uh, for you guys. So, it's just awesome. It's awesome. So let me uh, let me pray for us. Uh, if you want to put your hands out like this as a sign of surrender, if it's not too awkward, uh, God, we just surrender our lives to you. God, we just um, we don't come because we want to watch a production because it's not even a production here at Voice. We come because we want to know you more, God. We want you to speak through us. God, we want you to make a difference in our lives and through our lives. We want to make a dent in this universe. We want the world to be better than we found it. And so, God, I pray that if there's individuals in this room that have not given their lives to you, God, I pray you would draw them to you this morning. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. God, I pray you would invite them into an adventure with you this morning, God. God, would you speak to each, single, each person in this room? Would you speak through each person in this room? And would you speak through us as a church to make a difference in this world for you, not for voice, but for you? We thank you for it, God. We pray that you bless every single person on the World Vision team. I pray that they have great naps this afternoon, or if they're already sleeping at home, would you give them restful sleep? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, we're here. We'll see you next week.
It's all I've been looking for and so much more 